All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, you know, finally, finally, I tracked this guy down and get back on the phone with him, Colin McCarthy. And the reason why it's this is near and dear to me, and I'm going to use, if you allow me, I'm going to use your LinkedIn banner as the cover of this podcast episode because you have a very streamlined monitor, the most streamlined I've ever seen, a state-of-the-art headset that looks identical to the one that I used at Quest Wireless when I was working in their call center, which they're no longer a company. And Joe Naccio, I think was his name, obviously went to jail for anyone that knows telecom history. Very, very, you know, that's not the usual thing in telecom, people going to jail or, you know. Anywho, um, Let's just start off with this this great picture. I mean, first of all, you're kind of a big deal. Um, you know, give me an idea of, you know, why don't we just start off with, you know, your VP of global IT out of New York. Is that, what does that mean for you where you're at? And then we'll talk uh, about the picture. Then we'll talk about the picture. Okay. So, yeah. Thanks, for Philip, for having me on. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, the VP for global IT for Essence. Um, an advertising agency, part of Group M, part of WPP. Uh, and I guess my day job is providing the IT infrastructure for 2,000 employees, 20-plus uh, offices globally around the world, um, giving people laptops, office internet connections when we used to have offices, uh, dealing with uh, all of the internal infrastructure, meeting rooms, uh, whatnot. Um, and managing all the tools that they use now that everybody, like the rest of us, is re- re- working remotely. So we uh, we are on Google Workspace. We've been on Google Workspace since it was called Google Apps for Business. Um, they, thankfully, Essence was on uh, the Google domain before I joined uh, back in 2010. Um, so that's sort of what I do: provide work with a team of uh, 14 colleagues. We provide uh, them with all the, the all of our users with the tools and the hardware that they need to, to do the, the jobs to service the clients that we have. Quick question to that. Are you like a full Google shop? Do people have Excel and Word or are they using Google Docs? I'm just curious. So, no, no, we're not 100% um, Google. Uh, we do use Microsoft Teams quite a bit. They're, okay. You, you know, Google is one of our clients, but then we have other clients that are on different technology stacks. Our parent company is is very Microsoft based, so we're we're sort of jack of jack of all trades, master of most. So there are some people in our organization that you know, if they're serving a particular client, will operate solely within the browser and and new and use no other application as opposed to Docs and Gmail and Google Meet, but We've got some clients that like to use Zoom. So we give, you know, 20 or so people a a Zoom license. We have a large client that likes to use Microsoft Teams. So that whole uh, group there have access to Microsoft Teams and we schedule calls, you know, um, using the the platform that the client likes. Uh, You can't really sort of dictate what the client needs. And, you know, uh, everybody needs to be flexible in using sort of a a wide Mm -hmm. range of tools. Um, in this day and age, but yeah, uh, people do have Excel on their laptops. Excel <laughs> still works for some for some jobs. Um, I know uh, Google have actually made it easier to to migrate your um, what's it called Visual Basic scripts uh, into App Script within um, within Google Sheets. I think there's a new plugin that helps that. So 
I, I would hope that our reliance on Excel for some data processing would would slowly die away. But yeah, we are. I would say we're in ninety percent zero trust beyond core browser based operation. Mm. Very nice. And I only ask selfishly because I am stuck in the world of obviously supporting thousands of uh, end users at various different companies using all different kinds of platforms. So then I'm stuck myself with every platform. How do you manage that with 2,000 end users? Like, how do you manage your applications? I don't think I've ever really asked this, but how do you manage, like, you know, all uh, of that? Through a philosophy called SASOPS. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a very good segue. Um, but yeah, we use, we use some tools uh, with, with APIs. A lot of this can be automated um, for, for license management, provisioning, uh, you know, changing uh, admin settings for different applications. We can do it from, from, all, from one admin panel that we have in a tool called BetterCloud, uh, bettercloud.com. Um, they're one of the, the pioneers and, and still probably the only true, real cross-platform SaaS management application. Um, but we've been using them to manage our G Suite domain since 2014. Um, and then when they started to do uh, uh, integrations with other applications like Office 365 and Azure AD and Slack, Zoom, uh, Dropbox, uh, Lucidchart, LastPass, we were able to plug all of the management of those applications into Better Cloud. Um, and then we have workflows to onboard people and more importantly in this day and age to offboard people, you know, to remove that license from, from an application that somebody had access to to free it up. Um, so that's how we, we manage it. I can talk about that subject for, for hours and hours. Um, maybe we would do that, but then considering that I'm a managing partner at Converge Network Services Group and AppSmart secretly on the back end, AppSmart would probably want me to say, hey, take a look at our platform and could you please uh, tear it up and tell me what we need to do here? Um, but th that's another subject. I, I'm, I'm primarily a, a telecom guy, so if uh, you're, you know, it's not the end of the world if you manage your apps through however you do that. Um, no, more fascinating is where you came from and what were you doing in this picture in front of, again, the streamlined monitor? What were you doing on that day and why, and, and who took a picture and why were you were just like, Hey, look at me. This is um, awesome. So I took that picture probably on one of my last couple of days of that company. Um, that was a company, this was probably taken in 1998 uh, and I'd worked for that company for, I think six months um, and I was, I was leaving to, to, to leave and come back to the U S obviously I'm originally from the UK, but I had a, a summer job working in a summer camp, um, which I very much in, enjoyed. So I was working at this, uh, outsourced it help desk company called ICL down in Sitkup in Kent. Um, uh, and I, there I had a really nice computer. I, uh, it, it, I think it had a 17-inch monitor, very nice, high, high, you know, resolution was 800 by 600. It was, it was really good. Um, might have even had eight megabytes of RAM. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, we used to. Uh, I, I started on the CompuServe help desk, so uh, I spent my my days and my evenings because I used to work long shifts. I used to take double shifts to save up my money to travel, uh -huh. uh, taking 
uh, telephone calls from users based in the UK and, and Ireland uh, asking, you know, either billing or technical support questions for, for accessing the CompuServe network. And at the, t- at the time, uh, most of that just involved, involved um, reinstalling the Windows 98 uh, TCP dial-up networking uh, application that would fix most of your problems. Um, but I, yeah, I was I was second line there, so that's why I was sitting at that uh, at that desk with my little Plantronics Plantronics headset. Um, it's a sick headset. What was um, what were those pieces of paper hanging down? Scripts, oh. like shortcuts. Do you remember? They press were, F1, press F2. I think so. I, I worked for this help desk for a couple of a couple of winters. And I know the next winter I was where I was working there, they had all of these charts around the office. Um, and those, those uh, pieces of paper there were probably call stats and the number of calls, you know, answered within 60 seconds, which I think was the SLA. Um, didn't matter if you put the, that person on hold for five hours, as long as you answered it within 60 seconds, I, th- I think that, that matched it or met the SLA. Um, but I realized that nobody ever looked at any of those pieces of paper. So I used to print out my own uh, and I had a, I had a pie chart. I don't know. I had a bar, a bar graph that, uh, you know, it was completely estimated uh, was a, a bar chart of the number of red cars that I would see go past the window. And I had, <laughs> a, I had, a, I had a, a giant pie chart that just said, this is a pie. It looks like a chart. And I posted, <laughs> I posted them up in the little corner that I was and they were up there for about six weeks before anybody actually realized that I put up some, some joke posters because um, the, the business wanted to put those stats out for, for the employees and obviously for the managers walking around thinking, Oh, look, this is impressive. Um, but nobody was really taking any, any notice of it. So I, I, I had well, a, a, made a actually, joke out of it. There's quite a bit of, um, I don't know, uh, wisdom in, in what you just said and what you used to do wisdom from the standpoint of, well, what kind of data goes into a system? What kind of data do you track? And, um, uh, how do you get people to really care? Because if they don't care, the data that's going to go in anyways, is just some fudged numbers. What kind of data do you use on your team to drive success? And since you used to just put up a piece of paper that said, this is a piece of pie and this is the number of red cars that drove by, how do you get people to care? That's a very good question. Um, so we, I'm very fortunate to be in a small team. Um, there's only 14 of us around the world. And also... A lot of us have have been part of this team, and we've we've grown together. You know, I started at Essence um, in 2010 when I was the the first full time IT support person. Um, my three IT managers started as IT support engineers back in 2013. Um, you know, and, and their careers have progressed and they've grown. Um, everybody else has been with us for sort of two or three years. I think it's giving them a a sense of purpose and ownership and you know we have a ticketing system but you know and i and i like to have as few tickets open as possible um but i don't i, I don't badger the team with with you know uh, with fancy charts and sticking to 
to an SLA and you know gamifying uh, answering tickets and closing tickets and having a an MVP MVP of the month or the week, which I know the application can do. But it's IT directors hate that. They hate that. They hate gamification. The yeah, gamers, but, like honestly, like like some of the biggest gamers hate gamification. Most of the big MSPs that I deal with, like we might be looking at, I don't know, some new uh, contact center or something like that. And, yeah. you know, the sales rep or whoever will be like, and you know, what's really great is you can create gamification, you can create competition, everything. They're like, no, I hate that. Don't ever talk to me about that again. Right. And that might say something to do with your ability to build comradability. Yeah, you know, we've... We've always, going back to the comment of being, you know, jack of all trades, master of most, we've never, we've never siloed people into, you know, you're just the exchange engineer, you're just the file server engineer, you're just the, you know, the backup guy who takes the tapes to an unknown, unknown location every Monday. <laughs> um, you know, we've, we've always been, obviously, like every sensible organization or IT team, we we operate on the principle of least privilege. So, you know, not everybody is a super admin, but we're very open in, in the access and the information that we give. Um, you know, we've, I have heard of horror stories of, uh, you know, some IT managers don't want to give up any control and want to you know, don't want to to grow their their team members um, and want to sort of restrict them and and want to keep that control for themselves. Um, I'm and, and thankfully those you know in managers like that we've been very lucky and we've taken on those 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 good staff from you know a bad manager and they join our team and you know they're able to to grow and spread their wings on and, and really develop. So we. We operate. How do we our- spot that person? Just real quick. How do we spot that guy? For everyone out there listening and maybe a non-IT person out there listening who's rolling their eyes and like, oh yeah, how do we spot that guy? Uh, the guy who's... who's the controlling under- guy. Who's the controlling guy. The controlling guy because nothing, because they never take a vacation. If they do take a vacation, they have to work during the vacation because they're the only ones that can do you know certain tasks. Um, and they would be the blocker in, in the business, you know, if, oh, you know, this can't be done until Bob comes back in two weeks because he's the only one that manages that platform. You know, that's, that's broken. Um, you know, it needs to be, you know, and there needs to be checks and balances for how changes are made. Um, you know, depending on the size of your organization, you can have a, you know, a proper change advisory board. Um, that, that meets weekly or monthly or you know quarterly or daily. Um, I, it all depends on the size of your organization, I think. Um, but yeah, it would the, the, it would be the control aspect that you know they don't want to use that they limit their staff and they don't give them the you know the ability or a, uh, a testing environment to to play around in and break. Um, I think for, always, for smaller companies that might not have that, I think that could happen easier for a company that has maybe say 200 to 600 employees. I would think they could easily get stuck in that situation. Um, yeah. Um, never takes vacations. We'll just use that as the number one red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't, doesn't relinquish control or share information with his, um, you know, with, with, what I would say he's, well, that was, it's a, a terrible, 
a terrible slip of the tongue. They, you know, he or she, whoever they're, um, they're well, ninety-eight percent of your industry is men. I know, I know. No, yeah. no, I know you're doing the right thing. I'm saying, yes. I'm saying you're yeah, doing the right thing. Is, I'm just being a, factual, and I don't know why that fact is. And we've talked about that before, and I've had, and it, we've had this conversation before, and I, I wonder. I just wonder why. Maybe it's because back in the day, you know, women are cooler and there's more nerd guys. This is being very stereotypical. This is me really throwing out, you know, but, you know, who knows why? Like how, okay, so back, back to, uh, uh, you know, Plantronics headset with, um, you know, 17 inch monitor, whatever it is. How, did you get there? What were you playing with? What was your first computer or device or what got you so excited and, and had so much fun? Because we can all think of that job that we had that got us really kind of addicted to like working in technology or however you want to talk about it. But uh, we can remember that job that was the first job that was like, wow, like, uh, it's just fun. I'm, I'm assuming you had fun there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. And you're not working I... double shifts if you don't have fun and love putting that headset on and talking, you know, you honestly, like I remember working in a call center. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. Yes. Yeah. I, I did, I did really enjoy it. Um, I worked with a great, uh, line manager, desk manager who I can tell a, a story about. Um, <laughs> unfortunately I, I, I can't remember their name cause it was like 20 odd years ago. I would, I would love to tell them where I, where I am now and, uh, and thank them for, for their guidance. Um, so I, I, I started off, I guess my, my first computer back in the UK in the 1980s, got it in about 1983, 1984, was a, a ZX Spectrum, which a lot of English kids, um, well, a lot of English people in their 40s or 50s would have grown up probably if they were at a, a ZX Spectrum, uh, where you'd put the uh, the audio cassette in and press play, wait 20 minutes and it would make funny sounds. And if you were lucky, Manic Miner would start running on your on your computer or um, Hungry Horace or Pac-Man or another another game. Um, then I went to uh, an Amstrad 1640, which was a, a 286 IBM, compute, IBM compatible computer. Um, and for my 18th birthday, my parents bought me a hard disk it was 20 megabytes and it cost 250 pounds. But it did mean, did mean that I could install GEM, which was the graphical user interface on top of DOS onto the hard disk so that when the computer booted up, I didn't have to put in three floppy drives just to get to the GUI. Mm. That's the best answer I've had of 88 episodes. That's the best first computer story I've had. It's going to be hard to top that. It really is. I, yeah. in fact, I need you to, after this and for everyone listening to this, by the way, right now, I forget to do this all the time is take a, a quick break and say, if you like the show at all, please go to iTunes and I say iTunes, uh, but obviously if you've got a droid device, I still need you to go to iTunes. Sorry, because somehow that's what really rates uh, top technology podcasts. And I need you to search Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, scroll down and give an honest review of this show, please. With that being said, Colin, I need you to send me the bullet points of 
all of that equipment and software, whatever it is, because I'm going to put it in the summary of the show and I have no clue what you just said. Other than DOS, other than DOS and 286 and 20 megs hard drive. Other than that, I have no... And Pac-Man, I don't know who Horus is, but I'm going to play that on some sort of, uh, I don't know, um, what do we call that? Emulator? Emulator. I'm going to be downloading that immediately after this and we will be experiencing that. Okay. Um, keep going. So what, yeah, but why you got all these computers to begin with? What, what drove it? I can tell you for me, it was Jim Sims. Um, who was this kid that like, you know, he had like magazines, PC magazines. And I was like, dude, like I've got an Apple two C like, what's all this, like, you know, PC stuff. Oh, look, you can order this and build this part and put this in. I was like, wow. And I think as humans, we really love customization and being able to upgrade and do stuff like that. So that's kind of what got me hooked. Yes. Yeah. You know, and then from, I guess, 97, when I got my first, uh, wait, I did get a two, eight, no, I bought a 386, I think in 92, 94. Um, but then in 97, I splashed out like 800 pounds, which is in today's money, it's, you know, 1,100 US dollars for a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a MacBook air. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a, a P one, six, six, so a Pentium one, one six six megahertz with I think four megabytes of RAM um, and and Windows ninety five on it and and that machine you know did get loads of additions additional hard disks sound cards loads of other bits over you know throughout of its throughout its life. Um, yeah, remember Sound Blaster or whatever? I don't know oh. what the version was. You used to like go but you go to like Radio Shack and buy oh. Sound Blaster in a box and then put that card in. Yeah, I think when I had the 386, it would have been in the mid-90s, I went to my local computer store and they just got in the, the Creative Sound Blaster. I don't know if it was the original Sound Blaster or the Sound Blaster 2, and it could do like 8-bit sound. Um, <laughs> and it cost like $200, 200 pounds. And I'm like, oh my God, who would... That's an awful <laughs> lot of money and it's so amazing. You can get this sort of sound quality for your for your games. and But, you know, it's I, I, so much of what we have today is just taken t- taken for granted. Um, certainly back in the day when you were looking to buy your first computer, you were, you were really reading up the pros and cons of a, of a, a, a CJE, no, yeah, a CJE monitor versus an EGA monitor. Um, uh, you know, one was like 320 by 240, the other one was 640 by 480 resolution, and would do you know so many more colors, but it would be so much more expensive, and you'd you only have so much money to play with. But you know, uh, uh, the questions, the okay, I still don't know if that. Do you wanted to know how the bug. Yeah, exactly. Question. You know what I mean. Like I just like I easily get stuck back in the old days because like it really I never get tired of it. I really don't. I don't. I don't even get tired of talking about Betamax. I still think that's amazing. It's like old wow. people talking about. I was around when the TV was invented, and you know I'm telling my kids like I remember when the microwave came out. Like yeah. the microwave. Yeah, Betamax or Betamax as they pronounce it in the UK was what my my father had. It was was the better platform. Um, I actually, actually studied uh, television and audio systems engineering at college in the UK and, and learned all about the different formats and phase alternate line, PAL and NTSC and all of the different uh, formats. And in the UK, we also had the, the V20, no, there's the V2000 by Philips, 
which was based on the audio cassette where you could actually turn the VCR cassette round and, and get double the time. Um, but it never really, never really took on. Um, I think it was popular, maybe been popular in Japan. It's all marketing people's fault. You know what I mean? It's all based on how good a job you guys do over there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, obviously Sony won with VHS because of their access to um, video rentals and the movie studios, more things came out on VHS. So that's how it became more popular. True. First movie I rented, I'll never forget. It's not, I don't know if it's going to make a big deal. Did you guys have Sears over there? Did you guys have Sears? Was it that big? No, of a, yes, no. it we, had, we had other department stores. So it's like, you know, whatever the stupid department store is, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I rented Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on Betamax at Sears. It was just weird, you know, like there's, they're selling lawnmowers next to you and you're going to the parts counter renting a Betamax video that came in this brown, brown, hard plastic, you know, case. Yeah. Like it was like, you know, some kind of crazy anyways, wild. Um, well, the, the, the first film talking about films, the first film that I remember seeing on, uh, on Betamax was Convoy. <laughs> Wait, Which Convoy, is, like the trucking thing? Or yeah, what? came out in 1978, <laughs> Convoy, with um, Chris Christopherson, uh, Bert Young. I'm just reading the Wikipedia page. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. If you've never seen Convoy, it's still one of my favorite films. <laughs> it's got the best soundtrack as well. Look, man, if it was, if it was good enough to make it to a, 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 some sort of tape or rental process back then, it had to be good. Kind of like yeah. Rambo 2. Yes. For, yeah. You know, you know, whatever that was, that wasn't first blood. That was like second blood, whatever it was. I remember lines down the street around the corner to get into the movie theater to see Rambo, like, yeah, a, yeah. like a line forever to get into the movie theater. Then the VHS came out, microwave popcorn, and that was it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no one has any clue. Now you just look at it, just watch it real quick on your phone. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if we really got to the essence of why you got into technology well, as opposed I, let me, to... Let me, let me give you the, the quick 30-second uh, 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 reduced yeah. version of what happened. So after college, I ended up working in a supermarket. I had a part-time job. They said, do you want a full-time job? I said, yeah, sure. I'll take a full-time job. I could do it for a couple of months. About four years later, I found myself the assistant manager of one of the largest stores in the UK. Enough um, said. I already know. I already know the nightmare. <laughs> when people I ask you you're living the dream you're like yeah I'm living the nightmare <laughs> and Anyways, I, no. yeah and you know it was it was keeping keeping my car running and, and yeah. giving me some money so but it, it wasn't and, I, and obviously I didn't want to do that forever and I kept fixing like the office printer uh, or the the, the, um, the store printer and fixing the registers and doing stuff on their computer system and um and realized that that's what I wanted to be doing as opposed to selling frozen peas and uh, restocking the bread and milk aisle. Uh, so I, I left that company, went traveling around the U.S. For, for six months, worked in a summer camp. And when I came back to the U.K., I applied for a help desk job doing billing support for CompuServe. Uh, this uh, outsourced company, ICL, hired me because it was like, you know, you've got great customer service experience. We can teach you the the technical mm. stuff. Um, mm. and, and there I was. And the, the funny story with my, uh, with my really good line manager who I miss and don't know, can't remember his name. When I started at the, at the desk, um, I'd been there for two weeks uh, and he walked over to me and he handed me an application form 
Um, and he said, uh, he said, did you see that we were advertising for a second line permission, a second line position? And I said, yeah, I saw the advert. He said, well, here's your application form. And he <laughs> said, I, I said, I didn't apply for the, the second line position. And he said, I know, here's your application form. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I have a much I filled, story. <laughs> I, I filled in the application form and like a week later, I was second line, uh, much to the annoyance of all the other people on the desk that had been there for a lot longer because um, I was a, a, a new older guy who turned up and within three weeks had already been promoted. Um, yeah. In that picture, I was was on the, the in the second line part of the desk answering mm. calls. And when I left, the the line manager was like, you know, you could have been third line, you could have been running the whole thing if you if you wanted it to. So, <laughs> what made you leave? Um, life. It was. It, well, I I heard I kept leaving. I kept working there in the winter and then leaving. And I ended up working for the summer camp for seven summers um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And then in 2003, when I came back to, to the UK, uh, I almost didn't want to go back to the, the telephone help desk. Uh, a friend of mine who worked in a secondary school, like a high school, doing um, he was the IT manager of, of that school. He needed, somebody, he needed somebody to install wireless networks in some of the, the primary schools, like the in, um, what would you call them, kindergarten schools that were associated with this larger school. Yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. I can run cable and, you know, install access points. I, I did that for about six months and then um, started to do some other sort of contract work for some of the, the schools and then found myself getting a, a full-time position in uh, a school in South London um, and then quickly changed to a, a different school. Uh, and stayed there from 2004 to 2010. Um, I was the, the deputy network manager of a, which we, at the time it was a large network where we had uh, 800 uh, students. So there was like 800 user accounts and about four or 500 computers um, and sort of uh, about 10 or 15 computer suites they had. It was quite a technology savvy uh, a school in South London. Um, that was very interesting because you basically have 800 hackers on site um, trying to get elevated privileges on, on Windows XP. Um, you know, and we had, we, we experienced that problem where NetSend, does anybody remember NetSend when it, which was a part of Windows XP before it was patched by Microsoft where you could, um, you could do a NetSend message to any IP address or a range of IP addresses and it would send, it would pop up a message on that person's screen. Um, <laughs> that was the, the sort of things that we would we would discover and then have to patch. So I got we we got very good at um, at testing, um, you know, deploying a build and testing it and user account permissions, making sure the kids couldn't do anything. Uh, and you'd always you'd always you'd always make friends and stay in touch with the very very clever kids who would. You know, yes. find a, where they would find a hole and they would let you know where the hole was so that you could patch it. Um, Absolutely. I've got a guy, like, uh, I think it was Warren, Roland Cornblower. He, you know, some kid hacked the network and, you know, created some kind of web proxy and, you know, did something like this and was getting ready to go to like some disciplinary committee or something. He's like, no, 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 no. Stop, stop. I'll talk with him. I'll talk with him. You know, takes him out to lunch, gets him a, 
chimichanga and a burrito or something. He's like, how'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm very happy that one of the students, so while I was at this school, I actually taught uh, the Cisco networking course. So I used to teach CCNA. Um, one of the, the students now works for us and he's, uh, he's now our cloud engineer um, doing a lot of stuff in, in G Suite, Azure, AWS, and playing around with APIs an awful lot. Yes. So yeah, that's um, it's been 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 a, a, a good journey from that uh, that old picture of uh, of a CRT of me sitting in front of a CRT to now you know sitting in this uh, virtual virtual environment that we that we now are in with uh, spending all of our day on on. Google Meet or Zoom or Microsoft Team video calls. Um, Enough of that. Let's work. let's cut through. Let's cut. You know, I could talk about this stuff all day, and I realize I've spent way too much time on this. And you have way too many cool stories that might might have to like pull you in for like three more podcasts. Um, you mentioned last time that certain things are better. Um, it'd be better to have a crack habit. Uh, quote. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you said. I, I think it was something into something to do with uh, VDI and, and VMware and Citrix. Yes. And better to have a crack habit. So hold that thought. More importantly, uh, running into people that don't turn on their camera. Why is that important? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a very big um, supporter of turning on your webcam if you're on a video call. Um, you know we. Maybe the organization that I have I'm in, uh, Essence has has been on the Google stack for a long time. So we've had access to Google Hangouts and video calls, um, and always done video calls with our clients. Um, and I know for a lot of organizations, it's something that they've they've only adopted in maybe the certainly in the last year, but maybe before that, not not so long. Uh, and they've they've often transitioned from a telephone conference call service to, you know, a video service, whether it be Skype for business, um, heaven forbid, or Microsoft Teams or Zoom or Google uh, WebEx or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, what the, we, 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 if we were physically meeting, it, us having this video call, like we're on a video call at the moment to do this, yeah. us having this video call is, should be no different to us being in the physical office together and sitting down across a desk and having a conversation. And if we were in a physical office today together, I would not walk into that office and then put a bag over my head or for you to sort of hide behind a book so that I couldn't see your face. So <laughs> why do that when you're on a video call? Um, and I know that, you know, initially there's been a, people felt uncomfortable about their backgrounds or their working environment um, you know, every platform does uh, virtual backgrounds. Every platform allows you to blur. And everybody's in the same situation, whether they're, you know, in their untidy basement. Like for before Google Meet uh, allowed to do virtual backgrounds, every daily call I was on, everybody in the company saw my very untidy uh, basement where I work. They mm. saw the old refrigerator behind me and, and mm. the, the wood paneling. Um, I'd prefer that. I would prefer that. Uh, because it's just more entertaining. 
Um, <laughs> I, I was clicking, I was clicking the wrong button. I was going to try and I would prefer, you know, like you know, Hila, severed heads. Like, this is much better. For those for, There's for workout those equipment, like Hila, okay, so go. you're in shape. Yeah, for those listening in black and white, behind <laughs> me is my workout bench, is uh, uh, some tubs which have got old clothes and some uh, camping gear in it. There's a ton of mirrors for some reason. <laughs> there's this horrible popcorn ceiling. There's a, there's a, there's a map of Pennsylvania and a map of... Uh, as this is much better. Uh, See, this is much better. This is creating rapport. See, this is great. This is much, much, much better. Um, <laughs> no, but I think, I think virtual backgrounds, like with a click of a button, I can be at one of my favorite beaches down at Cape May. Uh, yeah, exactly. At, one, at the bottom end of New Jersey. You could be on the moon underwater. Yeah, and I've... Like I've I've got a Star Trek background. I've got a Star Trek shirt. I've dressed up like I'm on the the bridge of the Enterprise. It it allows for a bit of creativity and personalization. And I think that's why I think we should turn on our cameras um, because no, you because, have a better story. Can we get to the real story? You had a call with an important vendor, as the story goes. <laughs> yes. So yes. let's get to the why this is so important. So <laughs> there was one vendor. This is why I'm so so passionate about it. Um, <laughs> there was one vendor that I had a call with, um, and the calendar invite just said me and Bob were having a call, and and we jump on the Zoom call, and I notice the the Zoom name that he's joined is obviously a meeting room. It's not his personal account. It's a it's a, it's a meeting room. It says, it's like you know, Denver, like Denver 101. Yes, yeah, and I'm like. I'm like, Bob, you know, turn on your camera because I know for, as an IT professional, your IT department has spent a lot of money fitting out that room with a camera, speaker, and a TV and everything. So let's utilize it. Can you please turn on your camera? And after a, a little bit of a pause, he begrudgingly turned on his camera. <laughs> Lo and behold, in this meeting room, it was not just Bob. It was 12 other people who were there <laughs> listening in on the call. And I was like, oh. Hello, everybody else, to my one-on-one <laughs> one, one on one with Bob. That is crazy. What did they say? Did they say anything? Did anyone smile or say anything? Or, uh, it was it was a call about it was some, a vendor problem. It was like a it typical was a like, problem call. So yeah. it was like, oh, great. Here are some other people that are that I can you know concerned that, that should be the the you know the right people to to solve my problem. So it was like, yeah, the SVP of product and, you know, the CSM and it wasn't just my account executive. So I was like, ah, oh, these are the people behind you, Bob, that I need, they're sitting on the sofa just listening are the ones that I need to be talking to. That's really weird. That's really, really weird because I would think from, for a guy with a two foot long beard that has supported IT directors for over two decades, um, I would think it would have been in Bob's best interest to say, we're going to roll out the red carpet for you. We're going to do everything we can. We're going to try to fix it. Blah, 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 blah. I'm bringing everyone that's important, all the C-level executives and bringing them into a meeting and we're going to meet here on this date and time. Why did he not do that? Do you think they didn't care? They didn't want to be known. Don't give out my email address. Cause I don't want this guy calling, calling me. Why? I'm not sure. It, it's weird. It, it it must it must be something just to do with the the culture and it's the it's the status quo. If if you join a company and 
nobody else is having their video on, you're not going to turn their, your video on. Mm. Um, so I think, I think, I think the leaders of that company um, or the existing employees need to set the standard for everybody else. Um, and I think we should be doing business face to face. We should be looking at each other um, because you can gain a lot more about how your presentation and, and your you know status crawl is going than not seeing the other person's face. Um, you know, I know that my colleagues who have done pitches uh, for new business where the client doesn't turn on their camera, they hate it because you know, their camera will be on, they'll have a, you know, obviously they, you know, I'm talking about uh, pitches that have happened in the, in the last few months because of, you can't do them uh, on site. Um, and, you know, this is the, the, the wonder of modern technologies. You can still pitch for new business and, and have these great discussions using, you know, video conferencing technology, but obviously some people aren't using it, you know, um, to its full, full effect. So colleagues of mine have been pitching for new business, the client, potential client doesn't have their camera on. They have no clue how their presentation is landing. They don't know if the client is engaged. Like, I don't know if you've wandered off at the moment and, uh, and have gone to get yourself a cup of tea or a glass of water, um, but I'll just carry on, on speaking. Um, and I think, I think if you have that camera, you can see if your, your team members and your colleague, colleagues are engaged. Um, Eye contact's important. Yeah. It's um, Zoom changing. definitely does measure. Zoom has a lot of uh, kind of um, different AI type of stuff that shows like how engaged the person was. Were they watching the PowerPoint? How it shows like when they're not looking at the camera, different things like that, which are kind of helpful. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, obviously you can tell if your colleagues are uh, otherwise, you know, engaged or distracted if they're, you know, looking at another screen or typing at stuff. Um, you know, the one thing that, that our company does, one of the um, sort of consultant trainers that we have, he's he's very good at telling everybody to to turn off all of their email, you know, notifications and close their, their inbox and actually mm. you know, look at the screen and and be engaged in the training and the, and the discussions that are going on as opposed to trying to be involved in multitasking. Yeah. Multitasking. But you know, you can't be involved in leadership development and, you know, writing, you know, a, a client document at the same time. So that's the one thing that, you know, we do get from this, from, from video communication. And it doesn't matter what platform you're using. Obviously I have a, a, some preferences over which one I use, but whether it doesn't matter what technology stack you're on, whether you use, if you're on Office 365, you can use Microsoft Teams. If you're on Google, you can use, uh, you know, Google Meet. But a lot of people would choose best of best of breed. So they might be on Office 365, but decide to use Zoom for whatever, whatever capabilities are in Zoom that they aren't being met in Meet for them. Let's go down the line uh, for the benefit of listeners. If they've made it this far and we haven't put them asleep because their camera's off and we don't know, let's just go down real quick uh, do's and don'ts. Anything that you could tell someone that would help them. So, um, what's um, what's worse than having a crack habit? Um, what security needs needs to be seamless, uh, zero trust environments, um, browser based things. Give me like your top three, like top three best tips from you know 
just give me the top three. What can we right. give to somebody to help, that's very helpful? Like the thing that's like, Phil, like I did this. And when I did this, honestly, it just made my life so much easier. Okay. So uh, let me just address the, the, the crack comment, which was <laughs> from a previous conversation that we'd had. That was about my, my fear of investing in um, VDI, whether it was um, Citrix or VMware. I, those licenses were, were very, very expensive. And I think once they've got you, it's very difficult to leave. Um, uh. So yeah, that was, that was, that was relative to that comment. Uh, three top tips. Um, so that would be, I'm sorry. So he, I didn't mean to just throw crack habit out there in your name in the same <laughs> sentence at the same time. I can see why that might concern you, yes, <laughs> but, yes, but, yeah. but, but what's not, so what's, what's the solution there? The solution is so we essence like back in the day I love to install applications and I love to rack servers. So rack installing applications, patching applications and installing servers doesn't doesn't scale well, doesn't scale quickly and it doesn't scale cheaply. Um, we have done well by leveraging um, Google Workspace as much as we could or Google Apps for Business back in the, back in the day and G Suite before that. Um, we always deployed SaaS-based applications. So, you know, I will pay a subscription, a monthly subscription for a user, um, you know, anything from uh, Bamboo HR for our uh, HR, HRIS system, uh, Lucidchart for, um, you know, in, uh, flowcharts and diagramming tools. We Anybody should have the ability to use um, whatever the software that you you deploy in your company on any device so if you're always fixed to you know installing Visio or installing office applications and being reliant on vpn connections then you're you're really limiting the flexibility that, that your staff have um because you know you're tying them to a corporate laptop all the time which is great um for to that, that is great because that does allow you to have some control over that, you know, that corporate laptop. You can say what versions it is running, but that doesn't scale very well and it doesn't give the, the end user the flexibility. To, be, to, be, to really succeed, I think, in the future and to scale well, you've got to be agile. You know, you've got to be using the internet as your network. You've got to be following the Beyond Corp. Uh, zero trust business model or, or network model. Um, you know, Google have just released a Beyond Corp Enterprise, which will give you additional tools and functions to do that. The one thing that we really utilize, um, we use it on on Google Workspace, and I'm sure there's a, a competing SKU and product on Office 365. Is we use a context aware access, um, which is one of my favorite things out of the, the Google Workspace uh, Enterprise SKU. So, for all of our Google accounts, we make people sign into the Chrome browser. It pushes out an endpoint verification Chrome extension, stores a little app on the computer that you're using, whether it's a corporate machine or a personal machine, and it validates that device. It wants an so based on policies that I set, it will say whether you can access our corporate data or not. So I'm authenticating the user and I'm validating how the user is accessing our data as opposed to the corporate machine that they're using um, because using only validating that the corporate machine is safe is an antiquated way of working. Um, 
because people can use, if you're on Office 365 or G Suite, they can access, you know, your company data from any device. So you should be securing that. So you secure the account. So I enforce, you know, a minimum version of, of an operating system. I don't allow Windows 7 or, or Windows 8. It's got to be a, a modern version of Windows, a patched, a recently patched version of Windows 10. It's got to be a supported version of Mac OS, et cetera. And it's got to be on an encrypted hard disk. If you, man, if you meet all of those criteria, then yes, on any device, you can access our data. Um, um, that would be the one big thing that I would want people to take away is don't think, oh, I've got a corporate network. I've got a, cor- I've got a corporate network. I've got a corporate laptop. I've got a corporate VPN connection. You know, we're going to do okay. Um, doesn't scale well, isn't particularly secure. People will find ways around it. Mm. Mm. Especially with BYOD and various. Yeah, BYOD, shadow IT. Um, you know, if you restrict your staff and say, you know, you've got to connect to the file server to access the documents, they'll go, oh, that's too much hassle. I'll just sign up my own Dropbox account and then I'll start sharing, you know, documents with my colleagues via Dropbox because then I can use any computer and any, any internet connection and I don't have to worry about the company VPN connection because that's too slow and it always disconnects me and then I lose access to my documents. Um, and sales guys are notorious for that because they're just going to do whatever they can to uh, get it yeah. done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, so, or any arrogant person in the organization. Yeah. So, you know, as an IT professional, you've got to be, it, it's a delicate balance between securing everything and providing everything. So, you've got to provide the best breed tools for your staff. You've got to be open to adopting the tools or securing the tools that they want to use or, or providing, you know, justifiable reasons why it can't be used and, and valid alternatives. Um, I think if you can do that as an IT professional, then you'll succeed. And also the company will succeed as well. Um, You know, your, your colleagues will be, your employees will be, able to collaborate quicker they'll they'll be more productive they'll win more contracts they'll make more customers happy more clients happy etc the we've come so far on this call um and obviously that kind of gets to the the security being more seamless uh so we don't really need us we don't really need to speak to that the zero trust is kind of a more seamless scalable uh, yes. Not, yeah. not, not that it's perfect, um, but it's uh, from your perspective better. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just going to say thank you for being on the show. I, I think this has been uh, outstanding, a lot of fun. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great uh, to tell my my story of, of how I got here and, and a bit of, of where we're carrying on going. Oh, I know what it was. Do you get more respect in the United States? Um, I joke around with all my friends with UK accents. I'm like, you know, we just need to put you on this thing because people are just going to respect you more because you've got an accent. Okay. And quite frankly, you say rubbish instead of trash. Um, you've got other vocabulary. You just seem more refined. So people are automatically going to trust you for absolutely no good reason whatsoever. There have been (laughs) moments where I have received a little bit more. (laughs) <laughs> I have received some privilege that come in in the United States that comes with having an English accent. 
So um, there it is. That's I, I try and I do not abuse it, uh, but I do <laughs> use it to get uh, an extended late checkout when we're in a hotel. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>